Good morning. Oh, come on, you got more than that. Good morning. There we go. There we go. All right. Welcome to Pierce Point Community Church. My name is Dylan. I am a deacon in training here and also the youth leader here uh, at Pierce Point. Um, speaking of youth, uh, I do have one thing to mention with the youth. We have a lock-in uh, November 12th. Or November 12th. Yeah, yeah, that's right. November 12th, 7 p.m. I'm getting confused because my... So, my daughter, I get to meet my daughter next week at 2 p.m., well, the, the beginning of it at least. So the, the dates are getting mixed up in my head. So one more, one more week till my wife and I get to meet our, our beautiful baby girl, um, and then we have the lock-in on the 12th. So a lot of stuff going on. If you are a parent or you want to help out with the youth or the lock-in, we do have a link that I can send you to sign up to bring things for the lock-in. There's a nice list that the Davis family helped us kind of compile and put together. So if you're interested in helping out in some way for the lock-in, reach out to me. I'll send you the link, and we can get that set up. Now, you know, I, I, it's interesting. I've, this is my third time being up here to be able to preach a sermon, and it's a huge blessing uh, and an honor to be up here. And all I can think about every time I get up here is, how does Nathan do this every week? <laughs> Because every time I get up here, I'm like, I might die. Like, I, it's, uh, it's, uh, thank, thank the Lord that he, he does it through me, because I am a nervous wreck. But anyway, um, we've been talking about the gospel, if you haven't noticed. Um, we're talking about it on Sunday mornings. We're talking about it during our Debo time with the deacons and deacons in the training. And we're teaching it in our Thursday night youth group as well. It's a big deal. I don't know if you guys know that, but the gospel is a big deal. Now, before I start, I, this is just, you know, you can shout it out. Does anybody remember what the gospel means? Good news. Thank you. It is good news. I have been tasked today with the job to talk about the response to that good news. So that is what I'm going to try to do. Um, my goal here is to kind of take you on a journey. We'll start out here with a few scriptures, and then we're going to look into the response of some of the characters in the scripture um, and, and how they responded to their interaction with Jesus, giving them the good news. So, I thought what better scripture to start out with and what better title wear than John 3.16. Um, should be up there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's pretty good news, right? Of course, we've talked about that's not just the good news. That's a part of the good news. But there's a lot of good news to talk about in the scripture. So I figure we'll start there, and then we move on, because we all believe that, right? We believe that if we, if we believe in Jesus, that we'll, we won't perish, we'll have everlasting life, right? We believe that? I hope we believe that. Not a lot of, not a lot of yeses, I'm concerned. You've had to do a survey. <laughs> but anyway, move on to Galatians 2.20, and this is where we really kind of get rolling. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So this is kind of the beginning of our response to this good news. If we believe what we say we believe, Scripture would say that it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And because of that truth, the life which I now live in the flesh, because it's still flesh, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's a, that's a hard, that's a heavy task before us, but it goes even deeper than that because I could tell you that you need to have faith, but that means a thousand different things to a thousand different people. 
some people were like, well, I believe. It's like, well, Scripture says the demons believe and shudder. So it's a little more than just claiming that you have faith, but there's some action behind it. So we're going to look at that throughout Scripture. The second one I thought would be a good start of Scripture would be out of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature or creation. The old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. So this is just this starting point of, okay, we say that we believe in this good news, right? If that's the case, there is a response, and that's what we're going to talk about. So I wanted to go through a few examples in Scripture of this, the responses to this good news. And the first one that came to mind was Paul, well, Saul before he became Paul. He is an interesting one. We're going to read the story out of Acts 9 which it won't be up there, so just follow along with me. It's Acts 9, starting on verse 1 through 9, and then we'll jump down to 19 through 22, and then we'll talk about it. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, Christians, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, can't blame them. <laughs> Hearing the voice but seeing no one, Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him in, into Damascus, and he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, I cut out a chunk here because, you know, we, we, we do have a, a time limit here. But before this next chunk of scripture, it's important to realize that I think it was Ananias who the Lord speaks to Ananias and says to go pray over this man and all, all of these things. So all of this has already happened. And then we move into Acts 9, verses 19 through 22. And it says, now for, this is kind of his response. I've got it highlighted real big in my, in my notes here. Now for several days, he was with the disciples who were, who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not, not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose, purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by provide, pr proving that Jesus is the Christ. Interesting. So we see this man that it seems like his hobby is capturing Christians and making them not exist any longer. <laughs> seems to be his, his, uh, his job, maybe. He, he enjoys this, right? So he's got papers to, to get the people of the way or the, the Christians bound, take them to, to Jerusalem um, to be dealt with. <laughs> he, has a, he has an encounter with Jesus on the road to, to Damascus. And now he is in the synagogues proving that Jesus is the Christ. Wow. And I think there's a, an interesting thing here because I've heard before that um, people talk about Paul and they'll say, well, like, you know, he went through some training and all this stuff. And yes, he was 
he was trained as a Jew. He had, he had a huge knowledge of the Torah and all the Old Testament scriptures. Um, but something to mention here is it says immediately. Immediately, immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. It wasn't like, you know, he didn't say, well, now I've had this encounter with Jesus. I've been given the good news. It's changed my life. So now I'm going to go to Bible school for three years, and then I'll come back and I'll do what I'm supposed to do. That's, 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 that's not what happened. It says immediately. Interesting, because I think these days we have an encounter with Jesus, and we sit on it for two weeks, and it fizzles out, and we do nothing with it. But Paul has this radical encounter, which, frankly, you're, it's going to look a little different if you're struck down in the middle of the road. It's gonna, you might make you think a little longer than a few weeks, like, hmm, I was blind for three days. Like, it's a big deal. But he has this immediate encounter that changes everything. So much that Paul is the author of over half of our New Testament. Again, this is the guy that murdered Christians. The book of Acts records him as being there when Stephen is, is martyred, stoned to death. And this guy is called upon by the Lord to receive this good news and completely changes. Hmm. And that's just one of the examples. Let's move on. So it's interesting. Um, when, I'm, when I'm thinking about like different examples of people that received Jesus or encounters that they have, they had with Jesus, and they responded. Because there's not a lot of, like, in Scripture, we don't see a whole lot of Jesus did this, and then they did this. So I, I kind of had to dig and think, because a lot of them are just like, Jesus did a thing, and he said, don't tell anybody, and nothing else is said. So one of the things that I thought about when bringing up responses to the gospel, the good news, I thought about the disciples, because... They were an interesting group of people, uh, to say the least. Um, but you see little bitty encounters that they have with Jesus, and he calls them. Now, the good news to them in this aspect would just be they believe that he is the Messiah, and that's good news to them because the Messiah has come to set them free. So you watch these, all of these disciples lay down everything. They leave their families, their relationships, their jobs. They leave everything to follow Jesus. And this isn't like, it's not like you're leaving one, one like good thing and going to like another like good thing. Like they left security of home and job and all these things and they said, regardless of the circumstances, I will follow him. Jesus even goes to tell some of them that like foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. That's a big deal. Like I like going home and sleeping on my bed. <laughs> Like, and they're giving all of that up. And it makes me think, when we're thinking of the response, all of them have that similar response where, okay, I was, I was a fisherman, but now I'm going to be a fisher of man. Okay, I'm, I'm doing all these things, and now I'm just going to follow him and do what he, what he asked me to do. And then I think about us, the common day church. And the problem that I think we run into is we look at the disciples, and we, we make fun of them sometimes because they ask silly questions, you know, things like, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like, they want to know those questions, but it's easy to critique them and not really understand that they were willing to give up their whole life, and most of us aren't willing to give up two hours on a Sunday morning, um, let alone our other six days of the week. Not a jab, just a truth that I think needs to be talked about because we are required to respond to the gospel in some way, and that's what we're getting at here. So another thing that I like to 
I'd like to mention when talking about the disciples is, and, and our response to the good news is, the disciples were not perfect. I mean, let's talk about Peter for a second. This is a guy who's having a conversation with Jesus, and at some point Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. Which is like, what a thing to say. <laughs> like, like, I don't know if I would recover if Jesus himself looks at me and says, get behind me, Satan. That's, a, that's, an, intense, that's an intense statement. This is also the guy that denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows. This is also the guy that is like super zealous and he's like, call me out of the, call me out of the boat onto the water and then almost drowns because that's Peter. <laughs> um, so obviously the disciples aren't perfect. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not perfect. But we're still called to respond to the gospel or the good news. And here's the interesting thing. We're going to mess up. We're going to fall short. We constantly do. But that doesn't make the good news any less good. I think sometimes we get into this mindset where, oh, man, I, I screwed up for the hundredth time. Now, now I just can't go back. It's like it wouldn't be good news if it was just, like, dictated by your actions. If it could be changed by anything that you and I are doing, it would be okay news. Like, it would not be good news. It would be like, well, today it's like, it's news. Tomorrow it might be good news. It's like, it's always good news because the good news came from a good God. And he doesn't change depending on your circumstances. So why in the world would the good news change? The only thing that changes, unfortunately, is our response to it because we don't quite understand it. So that was the thing I was thinking about when mentioning the disciples is this idea of just because they messed up didn't mean they had to stop responding to the good news. It's one of those things where you, you stand up, you brush yourself off, you repent, and you, and you continue to respond to the good news because it's a continuous good news. One of the, things I, one of the stories I like to mention uh, was the uh, lame beggar in the book of Acts. I like this story because it's like, you see John, I think it's yeah, John and Peter, who this is like an, an encounter they have, and Jesus has already ascended. This is, I think, what is this, Acts 3? So Jesus has ascended, and they're, they're just living. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're responding to the good news in their own life. And then you, and you watch them interact with this lame beggar. Let me read it. It's Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, if you want to follow along. Now Peter and John... We're going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to re receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all, the pe and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. 
I like this story for a few reasons. Um, I think it's interesting for me. You know, I'm not a man that has much money. You know, we're all getting by and we're all working our jobs. And it's easy to walk by people that are in need and go, well, I don't have, I don't have anything to give them. I, I, you know, maybe you don't have an extra dollar. Maybe you don't have the finances to do so. They didn't. They make it very clear. Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. And there's something interesting about that because it's very clear to us that the good news is more valuable, more priceless than anything that exists on this earth. The good news is the only, only thing on this earth that will not burn away. It's eternal. As God is eternal. So... It's interesting, when we find somebody in need, maybe you can't meet their need. That's okay. Maybe find somebody that can. That would be a nice next step. But what you do have is the good news, the hope that is Jesus Christ. And what better, what better thing to give somebody than something that could change their life forever? Yes, you can give somebody $5, and that might feed them for a day, but you give them the good news, and that will give them everlasting life. That will give them something else to hope in. I've actually had a conversation with a gentleman down in Cincinnati. Um, I, I probably only had a few dollars. And I, it was, I had this similar conversation where I'm like, I was like, I, this is all I have, but do you know what's more valuable than this money? And I just talked to him about the good news and why it's good news and why it can be good news to him. Another thing to mention regarding the, just all of these examples is these are different encounters. There, there's, there, as Nathan has put, there's not a cookie-cutter way to present this good news. It's, it's important to realize that the different parts of the good news is good news to different people. You know, we've got some people in these stories that they may be a lame beggar. The good news to them is that God is a God that cares for them, and they can not only heal their body, but their spirit as well. Maybe it's somebody that's down in their luck, and they don't, they don't have money. Okay, well, we serve a God that cares for you, We'll provide your needs. That's good news. We'll talk about the woman at the well here much later. Her good news is that she serves a God that knows her. She goes into the city and, and starts, starts talking about, I, I met a man that told me all things about myself. That we serve a God that knows us so deeply and cares of us so deeply. That's good news. So I just want to reiterate that, that thing with, that Nathan has been talking about these last few weeks. Is it doesn't always look the same. It's not like A, B, C, D, you're done. It's, it's a conversation. What is good news to this person? Because if somebody's stuck in bondage and stuck in addiction, the good news to them is that we serve a God that can set them free, that can make them new. It, it looks different to different people. It all comes from the same instrument as Jacob will present next week, that it comes from Jesus. It comes from what the Lord has done, but... It looks different, it sounds different, but it has the same effect to new, to born again. And, what, and I want to get into what is that response. So we look at the lame beggar, and what is his response to this good news? He's presented Jesus. John, John and Peter's like, I don't have a silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And this lame beggar, which is interesting that the, the, you know, the subtitle still call it the story of the lame beggar. But like by the end of the story, he's no, he's no longer lame or a beggar. <laughs> he's, he's made new. So his response 
is he's walking and leaping and praising God. Hmm. That's a, that's a pretty good response. Looks, it looks like some, uh, maybe some joy is moving in his heart. And the thing that I want to challenge us with from that is we, we did a panel discussion a few weeks ago on worship. Um, I think it was a few weeks ago. Time runs together. <laughs> Between all these devos, I'm getting confused. But we had this panel discussion on worship. And it's interesting because this man is, has an encounter with the good news, and he's leaping and praising God. What, to, what is to stop us from doing that every day? Because, again, the good news hasn't changed. It's the same yesterday as it is today, and it's the same today that it will be tomorrow. It might sound a little different depending on who you're talking to again, but it's the same good news. It comes from the same thing. So why is it that so many of us struggle to, to leap and praise God the other six days of the week? We do, we do really well on Sunday mornings. Adam leads us amazingly. Actually, I'm sitting back there in the back trying to get my head right to come up here, and I'm going, this is an awful thing to do before presenting that because now I'm just emotional, and I'm like, now i got to go up there and try not to cry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's awful. But what's to stop us from leaping and praising God in each day because the good news has the same impact on my life today as it did yesterday? So what's to stop us from doing that? Well, it's our circumstances. We let our circumstances, again, dictate how good the good news is to us today. That's a little crazy, don't you think? It's just as good today as it was yesterday. Sometimes it's even better today because we're having a bad day. Tell you what, the days that things are not going my way, the days that are just awful, when I dwell on the good news, it's even better. It's even sweeter. It's even more life-changing. It's more, it's even more me-changing. And it's just important that we realize that we're called to these responses. We'll get into this a little more here in a second, but I think the last example I have out of Scripture is Zacchaeus. I think I'm saying that right. (laughs) Um, And I'll I'll read it. It's out of Luke 19, verses 2 through 10. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was was unable because of the crowd. But he was a small, for he he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, really want you to pay attention to this because this is his response. Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So we see Zacchaeus' response here. It's a pretty drastic response. He's saying, Lord, if I have wronged anyone, which is a normal thing as a tax collector, they were very known for taking more than they were supposed to. If I have wronged anyone, I will give them back fourfold. That's a lot, especially if you wrong them a lot. But he says, I will give them back fourfold. And not only will I do that, 
I will give them half of my possessions. I will give half of my possessions to the poor. What a response. That looks like repentance to me. That looks like, hmm, I've definitely done wrong, and I realize I've done wrong. But I will make it right. I will repent of my sins, and I will give half of my possessions away to follow you, Lord. What a response. I was talking to a friend of mine about this, me preaching, and um, you know, I was going through scripture examples and, and things, and he said that he gave me his opinion and said, you know, you might want to share a little bit of a personal response to the gospel. Um, I'm only going to share a little bit because, one, I'm trying not to cry up here, so, um, but also I shared my testimony on the Devo a few weeks ago, so if you want to hear the whole thing, check that out it's on the YouTube channel. But my personal example to the response to the gospel um, you know, I, when I came to the good news, the only good news that I knew was that Jesus loved me. I didn't have a lot of doctrinal statements, didn't have, I couldn't write an essay on the gospel, I probably could now, but like, not then. Um, all I knew was Jesus loved me. And I paired that with the fact that I knew I was not a good person. I've done a lot of wrong things, I've hurt a lot of people. And when I bowed down to that good news, when I said, Jesus, my life is nothing. I, if you are real, do something with it. When I did that, it changed everything for me. I struggled with alcoholism for quite some time. And at April 7th of 2017, I bowed my knee to the Lord, and I have not had a drink of alcohol since then because he changed my life. He came into my life, and I, it gave me new desires. I woke up the next morning, and I, I, didn't, I didn't even think the same way. He gave me new desires of the things that, that I wanted to do, the things that, you know, I, I, at one point I'm a guy that wants to drink and smoke and party, and then the next day I just want to get to know this Jesus that has saved my soul, changed my life. So what does this mean for all of you? What should be our response to the gospel? Well, let me give you an example. I, and this is just, bear with me here. So, Imagine for a moment that you have gotten caught up with some unfavorable people and you owe a debt to them that is quite, quite large, let's say a million dollars. I don't know about you guys, but I don't have a million dollars laying around to pay a debt. If any of you do, can I talk to you after service? I, <laughs> uh, I just need a, a, a small loan of a million dollars. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so you owe some unfavorable people a million dollars. Now, these are the kind of unfavorable people that if you do not pay the debt that you owe, you will cease to exist. I know, it's dark, but there's a point. So you are doing everything that you can. You're working three jobs, you're selling stuff, and you can't get anywhere close to what you, what you owe to pay them back. You get a little concerned because the due date's coming. The due date comes and you don't have the money. They pick you up in this you know, unmarked van, take you to this place, and you're going... This, this isn't from experience, by the way. I know that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> they pick you up, you, and you're, you're in front of these people that you owe a million dollars to. You don't have the money. There's no way for you to get the money. It's about time for your judgment to be, to be made. Somebody walks in. You don't know them very well, but they walk in, and you pay, they pay this debt. I don't know about you guys, but a million dollars is a lot of money. What would be our response to a person that paid a million dollar debt for you. 
you'd probably want to get to know this person, right? You'd probably be walking in joy. You would probably not let your circumstances dictate how you react because, holy crap, somebody just paid this large debt for me. How am I going to let anything, any small thing, dictate how I feel for the rest of my life? You shouldn't. But here's the thing. A million dollars is a lot of money. You know what debt's been paid for you that's a lot larger than a million dollars? The debt that you owed for the sins that we've committed. Jesus paid a debt that we had no chance of paying. And for some reason, we struggle to even have a desire to seek him. Now, we think about this aspect of money. And oh, if somebody paid that, I'd, I'd want to hang out with them every day. I'd want to get to know them. I'd be walking in joy and peace. And I'd have all these things because, man, my debt has been paid. I promise you that the debt that Jesus paid for you is much larger than you could ever imagine. And he did it when you were yet a sinner. Romans 5.8 says that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were yet running around, rolling in the mud, spitting in the face of the Lord, he said, I want them, and I'll do whatever it takes. And he did, and he gave his life for you and I. So the question today is, how do we respond to that? Because the initial gift of salvation is free. It's a free gift. But as Nathan has pointed out many times in many different circumstances, this is, a, this is a starting gun. This isn't like, I believe, so now I'm good. This is a starting gun, a race that you are to run. So how do you react to that? Well, one of the scriptures that I like to kind of cling to, and I've probably quoted this every time I'm up here, and I say sorry, but I'm not. I'm not sorry. It's a good scripture. Uh, <laughs> it's Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I think step one is having a heart to glorify the Lord, to bring him glory. Because if you remember, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So we should have a heart set on Colossians 3.17 where whatever I do, I want to do it in the name of the Lord because I want to bring him glory. And if you want a little more practical thing, because it's good to have something practical that we can aim for, we're going to talk about the, about the fruit of the Spirit, because I think it's a good, good way to aim. Because again, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And that's the truth, and we believe that. These are things that should be evident in our lives. So it's a little bit of a big scripture, but follow along with me. It's Galatians 5, should be up there, uh, 5, 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And, it will, it will not, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For, there are, for, they are, or for these are in opposition to one another, so that, you may, so that you may not do things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as, I've, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
against these things. There is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, who, who have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So, our genuine, our initial response should be one of thanksgiving, right? Should be one where we are grateful. We want to get to know this Jesus that has saved our souls. But what do we do after that? The title of this sermon is uh, From Death to Life. But what's next? You've passed from being dead unto your sins to alive in Christ, but what's next? It's this. It's striving to continue to crucify your flesh. Lay down your own desires. Say, it is no longer my will, Lord, but your will be done in my life. And if you want something practical, we should be walking out the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's a lot, I know, and it's hard. But if we continue to crucify our flesh, if we continue to seek God on these things, he can help us walk out what we've been called to. This is the response that we should have to this good news. It should be a heart that brings him glory, that desires to bring him glory. And we do that by walking out these fruits of the Spirit, by walking out in our work, in our schools, in our churches, in our homes, this love, joy, peace, patience. We are diligent in walking those things out. The last story that I want to share is out of the, uh, the woman at the well story. And um, I was going to read it, but let me just paraphrase it for you because I really have a, a point that I want to make and then we'll, we'll wrap up here. We're all familiar with the woman at the well story. Uh, Jesus t- is talking with this woman at the well, hence the woman at the well story. Um, he starts to c- talk to her and she's a Samaritan woman and she's, at first, seems very standoffish, like, I, give, give me some social distancing, please, like six feet, because like, she's like, she's confused why he, being a Jew and a man, would ask her for a drink. And of course, he says to her, well, if you knew who asked you, if you knew of the gift of God and who asked you for a drink, you would ask me for a drink, and the drink that I would give to you would be living water. You'd never thirst again. It's, it's interesting, though, because you see... She's initially, she's like, that would be great because this walk is awful. She's like, I, I would love this living water. She doesn't quite understand yet what it is, but she's like, she would love to not go there every single day to get water. The reason I bring up this story is because they go back and forth, and, you know, Jesus says there, comes, there will come a time where you worship in spirit and truth and all these things, and this means so much to her that her response is she leaves her water pot at the well, which is like, that's a pretty necessity, that's a pretty necessary thing to get water out of the well. You got to have a pot. She leaves it. She runs into town and she starts proclaiming Jesus. She says, I have met a man that told, has told me all things about myself. The reason I bring this up is because this is another response to the good news. You see that a few times in the interactions that Jesus has. Jesus has an interaction with somebody with the good news and they instantly run and start telling people, even when he tells them not to, by the way. And you see this woman at the well, and she runs into this town. She starts telling people of this Jesus, who is the Christ. And it brings up an important scripture for me out of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We should all be familiar with this, but I'm going to read it anyway. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. 
And lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. That's another really important response that we're called to have. We are called to preach this good news to other people. We are called to share the hope that is in Jesus with the people around us. Because, let me challenge you, if, it, if we believe in this good news the way that we say we do, and we believe that it, it has the opportunity to change us the way that we, that we say it does, why would we not share it with other people? This is a wonderful gift of God and a huge response. A huge response comes from us sharing this, walking out the Great Commission. That's a huge response to this good news. You hear it, you believe it, and you believe enough to say, I want other people to have it. That kind of sounds like you're walking out love because you love the people around you so much that you want them to have what you have because it is such a good gift. And this kind of sets Jacob up for next week because he'll be digging into that idea of us being a, an instrument or a tool for what the Lord has planned for his good news. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you, you are so good. You have given us things that we, we can't even come close to deserving. And you continue to bless us and change us and refine us. We just thank you. Lord, I thank you for the honor to speak your word and to speak on your good news. And I ask that you bless the people in this, in this congregation and the people that are watching online that we... We have a hunger for your good news that changes everything, that changes the way that we do things, the way that we speak, the way that we act. Father, I just pray that you, your hand continues to be in this church. You have blessed us more than we deserve, but we want to serve you and bring you glory more than we ever have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll have the communion teams come up and Adam can come up as well. Guys, if you would, give Mr. Dillon a hand. Thank you. So, obviously, Dillon covered a lot of things when it came to the response to the gospel, but one of the things that I, I hope you guys saw, uh, I've been talking a lot about foregrounding and backgrounding information, and when we talk about repentance, which is a rightful response to the gospel, when we talk about repentance... Um, we often foreground something in our heads, and that is this concept of groveling before uh, a just king. How many of you would say that is the picture you have in your mind when you say, I've got to repent, which means bowing low, crying out, telling God how awful or how pitiful I am. This is the picture that seems to be painted. But what Dylan provided for us, and I hope you see it, is he provided for us a repentance that is a bigger picture, which happens to be the fruit of the Spirit. Repentance is simply turning around. Repentance is simply changing direction. And so if your life is a life that is marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, right? if it is marked by these things, you are walking in repentance. Many in the church are not going to be satisfied with that. Because what we want is not justice, it's not repentance. We want revenge, and we want people to feel little, or we want people, people to feel small. But true repentance, church, is simply to see that God has a new life and a new way for you to live. He has got love instead of hatred. 
right? He's got joy instead of sorrow. He's got peace instead of chaos, right? All of this is what Dylan just shared as a response to the gospel. And I'm just astounded by it. I'm astounded by it because that is the picture that the Bible actually paints. Trust me when I say this, and if you don't trust me, you can study it for yourself, right? But if you look at all of the stories of all of the people in the Bible who encounter Jesus and repent, you will seldom see a person groveling at his feet. What you will see are people who go, let's go fishing. What you will see is a group of people that say, let's change the world. What you will see is a bunch of people loving their neighbor and really transforming life. So where did we get that idea? Well, it's what we foreground. It's what we foreground, and it's often what we've been taught to foreground. So as we take and prepare for communion today, I want you guys to remember that what Jesus did and what we're remembering is that he set a new standard. He set a new way for us. His blood was shed for us. His body was broken. Not so that the relationship between us and our Heavenly Father is one where we're afraid of being struck by lightning bolts. It is instead a relationship where we look at it and say, how can I do better today, Lord? How can I honor you with joy today, Lord? How can I love my neighbor today, Lord? Do you see that? It's an amazing thing.